In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. One of the beautiful things about the Old Testament is that it shows us um, kind of a model uh, that we can apply spiritually um, in our lives. And the way that the Lord worked with the Israelites was like a model of the human soul, of how he works with each of us. Um, and one of the things that we see at the beginning of the life of the Israelites um, before they entered into the promised land is that they were slaves. Um, they were slaves in Egypt, and they were suffering there for hundreds of years. Uh, and then when the Lord decided to bring them up out of the slavery, um, they first passed through different things that happened to them. Of course, they passed through the Red Sea, which the church fathers likened this to baptism. And then they continued to struggle in the wilderness for 40 years, struggling there um, before they finally entered into the promised land. And so the promised land represents heaven. Um, as this is like our final resting place. And the struggle during the 40 years in the wilderness, it represents like the, the spiritual struggle that we struggle with um, in our life. And oftentimes, while we are in the midst of that struggle, we question the purpose of it. And why is it that we have to struggle? Why is it that we do not receive all the comforts and the joys and the things that we desire um, all at the beginning? Why is there this period of struggle? And we question God. and We say, why, why God, are you allowing these things to happen to me? And the Lord reveals to us that he says everything he does for us is for our good, um, even though sometimes it might be difficult for us to accept or to understand. But this period of struggle was not in vain. Um, just as the Lord allowed the Israelites to struggle for this time, so also he allows us to struggle. But in the end, he brings us to the promised rest, just as here in Joshua 21, after they, the people had struggled for the 40 years and were getting ready to enter, it says, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. So even as the Israelites were in the midst of the struggle, the Lord had made promises to them about where is it that they were going to go and what is it they should expect to get there. And the Lord also does the same for us. Even while we are still struggling in the world now, he tells us that the place that we should be expecting to go at the end of the struggle is a good place. It's a place that meets all of our needs and satisfies us, and it is a place of rest. So even as we, we groan and we cry out to God now in the midst of our suffering in this world, but the Lord always is reminding us that even though this world might be broken and so many things here do not work out the way that we would wish and we experience all kinds of suffering, but that God turns the suffering into good and ultimately uses the trials that we face in our life as a means of purification, as a means of transformation, as a means actually of ensuring and securing our eternal salvation in heaven. Because when we are feeling always in need um, of God, then we stick close to him. But when we feel like everything that we, ha we have is comfortable, then maybe we will not stick close to him. And we will forget that actually he is the one who we need to be with in order to enter into eternal life. So I want to speak a little bit today about this suffering. Um, in Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Um, some people during this period of time of weeping uh, maybe feel like God is cold or distant toward them and ask the question, why is it that God would allow uh, allows us to experience such things and 
if he is a loving God, why why does he allow it? And actually, this is the, the number one reason that people leave Christianity, is the idea they cannot reconcile the idea that, that God is loving with the idea that evil exists in the world um, and suffering exists in the world. And we ask the question, why is it that God allows um, such suffering? Why would he allow us to lose the things that we love or not to get the things that we want? Um, and so we even question him because he seems to do c something that is contrary to what our senses tell us is good. Um, and even though we see proof of God's love on the cross, uh, we see proof of his love in the incarnation of what he allowed himself to endure, we question, you know, why is it that all of these things um, maybe are happening to us? So I want to speak a little bit about this um, idea and that, that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There is seasons of life. And there is a season of sadness and seasons of suffering, but there also comes the seasons of hope and seasons of joy. And ultimately, of course, in the eternal life, it is eternal joy. So what are some things we should keep in mind? The first thing is that God keeps his promises. Um, even though while we go through the season of suffering, maybe we forget the promises of God or we question them or we wonder if he actually is going to follow through with them or not. In Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Meaning, if the Lord promised us this eternal rest, so this rest that we are waiting for and looking for, uh, maybe it, 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 it feels like it's taking longer than we would like and that we want it to come sooner. But here it says, God is not a man that he should lie. Meaning, wait and the time will come. The time for each of us will come. Um, and, and, and in that time, we will experience that rest that the Lord is calling us to. This is actually a source of comfort to us while we are in the world, struggling to do the right thing, struggling to keep ourselves from sin, struggling to endure whatever sufferings we face, is to remember the promises of God, to remember what is it that he has called us to be, and, and where is he calling us to, and every day where we are traveling, what is the direction that we are traveling. And this should keep us to be focused on our spiritual life and not be distracted by the world. Because in the world, maybe we try to find comfort and rest in the things of the world, but these things are temporary. Even if we find comfort in them for a time, they will be taken away and we will lose them. And we will no longer find comfort in them. The thing that, that keeps us like having comfort throughout our whole life is the one thing that cannot be taken away, um, which is God himself. So number one is we have to um, uh, remember God's promises, that God keeps his promises. The second is that God's promises is better than we imagine. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I, am, I also am known. We have to do our part so that God will do his part. Actually, that, that shouldn't be part of the verse. Um, so, so what he's saying is that whatever it is that we see of, of the eternal rest now, Whatever is it that we can understand of the eternal rest, whatever it is that God is able to communicate to us about the eternal rest, we see it dimly. We, we see it like when we speak about heaven, right? We, we speak about heaven. We speak about eternal life. We speak about the joys of, that we will experience. Um, it's difficult for us to fully comprehend wh what kind of joys are we talking about. You know, I remember when we were studying the book, The Orthodox Afterlife, and there was a story of a woman who um, didn't want to die because she wanted to stay with her daughter um, um, because otherwise her daughter would be alone. She had cancer. The mother had cancer. And she was so stressed and distressed, not wanting to die because of this pain that she had of leaving her daughter alone. 
But then she had a vision of heaven right at the end of her life when she was dying or she actually had died. Um, and she saw before her heaven and all the glory of heaven. And um, she said, you know what, I'm ready to go, right? Like all of the, the sadness and the distress that she had about leaving her daughter, it went away. It's like this place is so wonderful that even the thing that you could imagine would be the greatest attachments and greatest desires that we have on earth are nothing compared to it. So God's promises are greater than what we can imagine. You know, we, we go through our life um, accepting the fact that the world is insufficient, that we, we live with pain and, and sadness and, and, and the, the needs that we have that are not met in the world. But in heaven, every need is met. In heaven, every, everything is perfect for us. And the Lord made it to be this way. Also to remember that the reason that the world is the way that, that it is is not because God made it this way. It's not as a lack of love of God, but because we have broken the world. We are the ones, like, like imagine like parents give their child like a really nice toy um, that's supposed to like make them happy. And the first thing the child does is he takes the toy and smashes it on the ground and it breaks the toy. And the child is crying that the toy is broken. He says, why have you given me a broken toy? It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It doesn't work. And the parent says, well, I didn't give it to you this way. You broke it this way, right? And now you're complaining because it's broken, right? But don't fear. I'm going to give you something even better than this, right? But you just have to wait, right? So for us to have faith, meaning we believe that even though the world is broken in the state that it's in, and we suffer because of its brokenness, and yet the Lord has offered us a new heaven and a new earth, He's offered us something that is not broken and that if we are patient and faithful and endure and persevere to the end, um, then we will, we will receive it. What's interesting actually in the story of Israel that at the beginning, prior to the suffering of the 40 years in the wilderness, um, that Moses sent 12 spies to the promised land um, ready to enter. God did not want them to, to, to endure the suffering of the 40 years, right? He wanted them to go straight to the promised land. It would have been about a two-week journey from is from Egypt when they when they left Egypt to the promised land and all they would have to do is be in the wilderness for two weeks when they got there um, and they sent the the spies in ten of the spies came back saying no these this land is full of these dangerous people and we can't enter and we're afraid to go in the two people who had faith and believed that God would grant them victory over their enemies were Caleb and Joshua and the only two people who remained alive during the 40 years and actually entered into the promised land were Caleb and Joshua because they're the ones who believed from the beginning that God was going to grant it to them and that it was good. So we, uh, we have to believe that God's promises are even better than what we can imagine, um, even though it's, it's maybe difficult for us to conceive. Also, God's promises are for our salvation. In 2 Peter 1 verse 4, it says, By which we have uh, been given... To which w by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. What are the purpose of the promises that the Lord gives? Ultimately, the purpose of the promises is so that we may be partakers of the divine nature. We may be in communion with, with God, right? We, can, we may be in communion with God. Just as in the story of that woman who, though she left her daughter behind, she, she, she believed in that moment, that being with God was actually greater than anything else, that, that there was nothing that could compare with being with God. Uh, regardless of what is it that she left behind, what, she, what, what God offered her was, was greater. And, and, and what, the reason it was greater is because it was eternal, right? And, and what God works in our life, he works for our salvation. 
doesn't mean that you know when we ask god god like help me to have a good house or a good job or a good spouse or a good whatever it doesn't mean that god ignores such things because they're not related to salvation but they they can be related to salvation and god chooses for us according to what is the best for our salvation not necessarily what we desire the most because maybe what we desire the most is harmful for us so one of the reasons that god does not grant us our the the, the wishes that we have is because maybe they are going to take us away from him. And when they take us away from him, they'll take us away from eternity. They'll take us away from the eternal joy that God wants us to have. Not because God is difficult or strict or he, he you know, we, we, we almost become used to the idea that like God doesn't want us to be happy. You know, like so much of what we want, God says no. So maybe we begin to subconsciously think, well, God just doesn't want me to be happy. It's like kids might think their parents don't just don't want me to be happy, right? They always tell me no for the things that I want to do. They don't want me to be happy. And they begin to be bitter toward the parents. And sometimes children who grow up not realizing how much the parents love them, the moment they, they are old enough, they leave the house with the, with the understanding that what my parents don't want me to be happy. They just want to control me. They just want to limit me, right? But God's promises are, f are for our salvation, which is a far greater thing you know, when parents force their kids to go to school, wake up early in the morning every day for, for over a decade, right, to, 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 to go to school, it's painful, right? Like maybe the parents, the, the children will like despise the parents for this. You're always forcing me to do what I don't want to do, to do something that feels uncomfortable. But we know, of course, as parents, like if you don't do this, you're not going to have a successful life. You're not going to be able to live. You're not going to have a job or a career. You're going to regret it later if you didn't do this now. And so because I am wise and I'm experienced, and I can control you, I'm going to force you to do something that you do not want to do, and maybe later you will understand. And God treats us the same, right? Maybe he allows us to go through various sufferings that if we hadn't gone through them, our lives would be easier, but we would not have learned what we need to learn to prepare us for what is to come so that we could live truly a life of rest with him in eternity. And so everything God does is for our salvation is the purpose of of what he allows in our life it is not that god enjoys our suffering right god does not enjoy our suffering and imagine that he has the power and the ability to end all of our suffering and he chooses not to use it you know how difficult it would be for him who does not enjoy us to suffer to see us to suffer and to just allow it to not intervene to not stop it from happening because he believes that this suffering is actually for our benefit and if we didn't have it we would be worse off as strange as that might sound to us Four is God makes covenants with us so we know what to hope for. Um, in Isaiah 54, it says, For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Meaning, God makes a covenant. He makes a promise. He tells us what to expect, what to look forward to, because he knows that in the, in the midst of the suffering, we will maybe lose hope and we will lose direction and we will forget. Just like the Israelites, they forgot. When they were wandering in the, in the, in the wilderness, what is it that they said? You know, we want to go back to Egypt again. We want to go back where we had the pots of meat. You know, forget the fact that we were slaves. Forget the facts that we had no freedom and we were beaten and we were mistreated. All I remember is the pots of meat. Because in the wilderness, there is no meat. There is nothing for me to eat that I desire. And so all I remember is the good things about being in slavery, right? You know, someone who, who, who leaves behind a life of sin, and struggles to try to live with God, 
There will be things about their old life that they miss. There will be the pleasures of sin that they miss. And when God comes and says, no, this is forbidden for you. This is something that you cannot partake in. Um, maybe part of us is like, why? It was, it was enjoyable. It was comforting. It was something that I wanted. And now, God, you are telling me that I cannot do it. I cannot participate in it. I am, I, this is not befitting to me. And, and maybe, again, we, we are bitter toward God because you are not allowing me to do the desires of my heart. But God makes a covenant for us so that we can look forward rather than to look backward. He says, what I promise you, what I offer you is greater than your desires, is greater than what you have ever seen. You know, when, when God made a covenant with Abraham and he told him you will be like, um, your descendants will be like the sand of the sea and the stars and the sky. Abraham had never seen such a thing. He could not comprehend such a thing. And, and actually what God was promising him was even greater than what Abraham understood. Because what he was really saying is that he would become like the, 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 the ancestor of the believers, not just physical families and physical descendants, but all those who would become the church are going to come from his loins. And the Messiah himself was going to come from his loins, who was going to be the savior of the world. This covenant that the Lord made with Abraham was even beyond his comprehension. What is it that God was actually doing for me? So God makes us promises so that we have hope, so that in the midst of struggle in the days of darkness, we, we, you know, when we're, we're in the, the night of weeping, we're looking forward to the joy of the morning. We're looking forward to what is, what is to come, believing and in faith that it will come. And even though it takes time, even though it takes longer than we would have liked, but it, the day will come. And the more we meditate on the word of God and know his promises, the more we can, can, can have faith that the day will come. Also, God uses unconventional methods, methods that maybe are strange to us, things that we wouldn't have expected. I always like to use the example of the city of Jericho. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And by going around the city for six days, and then the last day going around seven times, the, the walls of the city fell. You know, when we look at the enemies that are around us in the world, maybe we think there are certain techniques or strategies that I should employ in order to defeat them. And yet the Lord comes with a completely different strategy. And maybe a strategy that is counterintuitive and opposite to what we might imagine. When he told Gideon, you have too many people with you to defeat the enemy. You know, you need to have less people so that, so that you can defeat the enemy. And why, of course, did he want less people? Because he didn't want the people to take glory for themselves, that they were the reasons of the success and the victory. Instead, if I only had 300 people who are going to go to the war, then everyone is going to know that God is the one who granted success in the war and not the army and not the, the, the generals and not the weapons. None of that is what brought success and victory, but it was God himself. And even as we, we war in the world, we struggle in the world, the greatest source of comfort comes not only because maybe we are successful or because we overcome a challenge, but because we feel the presence of God. We feel that God is with me. When I see God working, when I see him doing things in my life to, to fight on my behalf, this gives me comfort, makes me feel like just as God has been faithful with me up until now, whatever it is that I might face in the future, he will also be faithful to me and I will not be afraid. Because there will be times when we cannot rely or count on anyone. Well, there will be no one standing by our side. Maybe the, the, the greatest example is de of this is death itself. Death itself is, you're in it alone. Who is going with you? No one is going with you. You are by yourself. 
The only one who can comfort you in that moment is God himself. The faith that you have that God is with you, that he is taking you to a good place, that you should not be afraid of all that is happening, and that you are moving from one world to a completely different world, and you don't have your family members, you don't have your children, you don't have your parents, you don't have your friends with you, it is just you. It is just you and God who are the only ones there together. So God uses unconventional methods in order to remind us that he is present, that he is there, that he does miracles, even in the world, so that we can see him. And such is actually a blessing for us because the more we see him working, the more we feel that, his, that he truly loves us and that he is granting us comfort even in the midst of the suffering we might experience. Number six, some conditions are, sorry, some promises are conditional. When he says, for instance, in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. It's meaning, meaning what? Like, follow me, right? Follow me. And if you do, I will do such and such, right? If you follow me, I will do such and such. So God is granting us a promise, yes, but the promise is dependent on how we react, how we respond. If a person lives their entire life away from God, maybe they're, they're not going to benefit from the presence of God. They're not going to experience the goodness of God, the promises of God. But if a person seeks God more than they seek anything, then though the world maybe has suffering for them, but God will grant them comfort in the midst of it and grant them victory over their enemies and grant them desires of their heart because they choose God above anything else. So a big part of this is how we respond to God when we are in the midst of suffering, when I am struggling. Do I turn to him and I seek from him the comfort? Do I seek to be obedient to him even in the midst of that suffering? Or do I say my, to myself in a spirit of rebellion, you know, God, you did this to me, and so I'm going to curse you, and I'm going to flee from you, and I'm going to run from you. You know, the thing with Job was that even though he experienced such suffering, he experienced such suffering to where, uh, I think it was Job chapter 3, where he cursed the day of his birth. He cursed it. He said, he said you know, cursed be the day. Let it be removed from the, from, from the calendar this day that I was born. And everything that he said like expressed like his anguish that he was feeling in the world. But even though he felt this way, he never cursed God and he continued to be obedient to God, faithful to God. He never blamed God for what happened to him. And he said, blessed be the name of the Lord God has given and he has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So he, he, even in such suffering that he experienced, he was still faithful. And this is why, even though not only he lost all of his possessions and he lost his health the things that remained with him were his wife and his wife was telling him to curse god and die so she was not a support to him and his friends who are all trying to blame him for the reason why all this was happening as though it was his own fault so the things even that remained in his life were a source of struggle for him like it would have been better for him to be alone rather than to have those people with him who were, who were just constantly causing more suffering to him and yet, after all of this period of struggle, however long it was, like God saw that he had successfully navigated it all, and he granted him health, and he granted him joy, and, and restored him to the place that he was again, because he remained faithful. So some of the promises that God offers us are conditional. And I would say the number one thing is, if comfort comes from God's presence, God, God comes, comfort comes from God's presence. Comfort comes because we continue to seek God and we are with him and he is with us. But if a person in their anger because of the suffering that they experience flees from God, then they add suffering to suffering. 
they they still suffer from the same thing that they have and they suffer now from estrangement from God because he was the only source of comfort that they could have experienced and now they have cast him aside. Number seven, God's promises can be warnings. In Galatians chapter six, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he also will reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. So again, God tells us what to expect in the world. And he says, your actions have an effect on you. If you make good decisions, then you will have good outcomes. But if you make poor decisions, you will have poor outcomes. It doesn't mean that every suffering we experience is our own fault. No, there's a lot of suffering we experience that's the result of the actions of other people or just the brokenness that is in the world. But there is a whole category of actions, of suffering, that maybe we bring upon ourselves because of the poor choices that I make, because of the bad decisions, because of falling into sin and temptation. But he's saying here, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. So when we read the word of God and we understand what is asked of us and, and we understand what is it that um, God is calling us to be, if we respond positively and respond well, then we will be comforted even in the midst of suffering because God is with us. But if we, if we discard what God has said and we disobey his commandments, he's saying what? You are going to reap. You're going to reap what it is that you sow. And a person who makes poor decisions in their life knows the type of suffering they might experience. It doesn't mean that all is lost. It doesn't mean they cannot return or repent. But there will always be some scars that they carry with them and some struggles that they carry with them because of poor decisions that they have made. Also, God's promises can be preceded by suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. He's saying if you want to reap the rewards of heaven and the resurrection, then you first have to what? go through the fiery trial. First go through the fiery trial. The Lord himself, before his resurrection, he went through the crucifixion. Right? He struggled first, and then he was glorified. And the Lord said, that we would follow in his footsteps, that whatever it is that he experienced, we also will experience, and he is the first fruits, that, that, that he shows us an example of the path and the way that we should walk. So he says, if you want heaven, right, well, there are some things that you're going to have to experience to get there. And again, the experience is not because God says, well, you have to be punished. No, it's not a punishment in that way. It is in order for us to orient ourselves to the heavenly life, to the spiritual life, we have to put aside the life of the flesh. And it's difficult for us to do so. This is why, for instance, when the Lord said, how difficult it is for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is not against those who are rich. It is saying the person who is, who is satisfied in the world, the person who has everything, the person who has not struggled, the person who has not suffered, the person who, who is so happy with everything of the flesh, how difficult is it for them to willingly put aside and to put away those things in order to focus on their spiritual life instead of just only the pleasures of their flesh, right? So he's saying, if you want to enter into life, he says what? Walk in the narrow road, walk in the narrow path, right? Because he said, wide is the way that leads to destruction, right? But narrow is the way that leads to life. And the narrow, the narrow path is not a path we enjoy. The narrow path is not a path that we like. And, and a part of the narrow path is to accept whatever fiery trial 
the Lord seeks to send upon us in whatever form that it might come because what comes afterward, what comes afterward is what we are seeking, which is um, eternal life. Number nine, God's promises should motivate us to live in purity, right? Should live in purity. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, right? If, if we want to live in the promises of God, we should live in the purity of God. We should seek to purify ourselves and to be close to God so that we can receive comfort from him and we should we can attain the promises that he has called us for. So we should be very careful in the way we live and how we choose to live and the things that we do, the things that we see, the people that we are with. Are these things going to edify me and bring me closer to God or not? And finally, number 10, we should wait patiently for the fulfillment. In Hebrews 6, it says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Those who we see have inherited the promises, those we see who came before us, who reached the end, who, who, who received eternal life, right? They, 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 they struggled in, and, and had to be patient and endure to the very, very end. It is easy for us to be on our best behavior and to do the right thing for a day or for a week, but to do it for a lifetime, in the midst of whatever struggles we experience, this is a completely different thing, right? Someone who, the difference between a person who was a sprinter versus an endurance runner, right? They run completely differently. And you can look at someone who was at the very beginning of the race and they run very fast and you look at them and say, oh, this person um, is going to win. But then after some time, they begin to lose their strength, they begin to lose their will and they fall and they can't continue and keep up the pace to the end. And so, um, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it says what? Remember your creator in the days of your youth, right? When you have energy, right? When you have energy, when you have time, invest yourself in the Lord when you have the time and you have the opportunity and wait patiently for God to reveal everything um, in due time. So I just wanted to speak a little bit today about this promised rest because as we struggle in our life, Right? We ask ourselves, how long can I continue this way? And maybe things get harder and more difficult. And yet, we look to God and we ask Him to fill us with this rest and the promises that are to come. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Any questions or comments? Okay, we can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask you, O God, for your blessings, and that you help and grant us comfort and rest in the midst of the suffering and the struggles that we face in this life. Teach us your ways, O Lord, and help us to receive from you every good thing that your Holy Spirit might work in us and transform us and change us and make us to feel always supported by you at all times, whether in this life or even in the last moments of our life as we are entering into eternity. We ask, O God, for your mercy, and we ask that you protect us from the evil one. Through the grace, compassion, love of mankind of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, make us worthy to pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil one in Christ Jesus our Lord for thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever and ever amen the love of God the Father the grace of the only begotten Son our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all go in peace the peace of the Lord be with you all amen